Here's another inspiring speech recorded at Communities in Control, Australia's biggest and best annual community sector gathering. Thanks for the introduction. And thank you to the organisers uh, for your generosity, and particularly to Marinda Epstein and Flick Gray, who are a team inside um, our community who run a mental health initiative for people who use mental health services called Our Consumer Place. Now I'm going to start with a song um, and some images. The song is by a friend of mine who um, has experienced mental health problems and her name is Sam R. B. Hanna. Um, I couldn't afford an ad agency to put these words and images together I'm afraid so um, I've got very rudimentary. Um, I do have some knowledge of PowerPoint though. Um, someone was having a go at PowerPoint this morning. I think PowerPoint's great. But unfortunately, I couldn't get the ad agency onto it. I just don't have that sort of money. Uh, so anyway, so he here we go. Um, We are much the same, 
just a few illustrations of uh, what I think is uh, a terrible history uh, in the treatment of people who've been labelled mad. Um, and it's not, uh, it's not just historical. Um, some of the images uh, that you saw up there um, are still happening today. Some of the same sorts of things are still happening today. And um, they're not just happening in uh, rich Western countries now. There's, there's the, the pharmaceutical industry and psychiatry is doing the same sorts of things in, in developing countries. Um, so um, a little bit about myself. I used mental health services in, in New Zealand um, in, the, in the 1980s. And since then, uh, I've been working um, pretty hard uh, to, to try and um, uh, to, to actually um, get the word out there about the human rights of people um, who've been labelled with mental illnesses. Um, now, um, um, I use the word mad in here. It's a controversial word. It's a reclaimed word, really. It's a bit like, um, you know, gay people talking about being queer or black people talking about being niggers or something like that. So it's... Um, but not everyone likes it, but um, uh, one advantage of it is that it's a nice short word and it fits very well onto PowerPoint. <laughs> so, now I want to talk a little bit about the current situation of uh, people who've been labelled with mental health problems. Well, in summary, um, people with mental health problems uh, tend to be poor, unemployed, isolated and unhealthy. Now, um, I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, I got out of there. Uh, and it's probably because I started off life um, white, middle class, privileged, and um, well-educated. Uh, but if you don't start off uh, with those advantages and you hit the mental health system, um, you're very likely to end up as one of these statistics here. Now, um, uh, so what we have is we have um, uh, people who um, die 10 to 25 years younger than average, and that's excluding for suicide. 75% um, of us uh, are unemployed, more than any other disability group. 
We're three times more likely to be in debt than other people in the population, and we're not talking about mortgage debt here. Um, we're three times more likely to be divorced, um, and uh, many people um, who uh, use mental health services are single, um, and 50 to 80 per cent of us never have children. When I, when I um, uh, first used services, the psychiatrist called me into his office and said, you have a major mental health problem um, and um, you, will, um, you will really have to lower your horizons. I'm afraid you won't really have a career. Um, in fact, he was grooming me for a career as a chronic psychiatric patient. And he also said that I shouldn't really have children or I should think very hard about it uh, because I might pass on my you know, my bad genes, you know, the ones uh, that you, you pass on when you're reproducing, not when you're swapping clothes. So, um, so, um, so basically, uh, um, it's hard to, th there aren't many groups in the community that come up with statistics like that. I think probably Indigenous Australians are, uh, are worse, but, um, but um, we're talking about a very marginalised, uh, dispossessed group of people. And many of you in your community um, organisations, you might have contact with um, people um, who, are, who have um, been labelled with mental illness. And, um, and I think that we're one of the last um, cabs off the rank when it comes to uh, claiming our human rights. Um, and I'll be talking a bit more about that soon. So, well, we have a, we have a whole um, uh, service industry Oops. We have a whole service uh, industry, a very expensive one, uh, designed to respond to our needs. Um, and um, this is how they respond, with meds, beds, and if you're very, very lucky, you might get something else. Now, what we have uh, in mental health services is basically, it's basically a medical um, establishment. It's a medical, um, uh, it's a medical sort of, uh, 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 it's a medical project, really. Now, the problem is that um, uh, the funding, probably, you know, 80% of the funding uh, goes into about 20% of the problem. Now, what I mean by that is that um, uh, if you talk to people with mental health problems, um, we, as those statistics show, we experience multiple losses in our lives. And, um, and, uh, to just medicate them and uh, hospitalise people, to spend all your money doing that and not supporting people to regain the material and social opportunities they've lost seems to me a, a massive waste of money. And every time um, people in mental health say, ah, oh, we don't have enough money, well, um, I think I just see an, an incredible waste of money when it comes to uh, cost effectiveness in mental health services. So what sort of services do we have? Well, we have um, hospitals. You've, got, you've still got quite a few of them in Australia. Uh, we've got less in New Zealand, but we do have uh, acute wards attached to general hospitals. Uh, and internationally, people experience these, these places as unsafe, neglectful and coercive. Uh, they're very unpopular. They're very uh, distressing places for many people to be in. Um, I haven't been a client or a guest in one for um, many years. I visited one in Sydney um, um, uh, a couple of months ago, 
and I, I, I was choking back tears. Uh, it was just a, it, I mean, you wouldn't want to put your dog in there. Um, and you know, you, Australia is a, is, is a wealthy country um, with a democratic tradition, and um, you take some pride in human rights, as, as do all Western uh, democracies. And the state of, um, the state of um, some of the uh, hospital facilities uh, is, is, is absolutely appalling. Um, now, um, of course, um, as I said, the mainstay of um, uh, treatment is drugs. Um, now, it would be great if these drugs were experienced as um, helpful and they didn't have enormous side effects. Uh, but unfortunately, um, some of the drugs um, are actually life-shortening. These great new um, second-generation antipsychotics came out about 15 years ago, and the drug companies pushed them and said, these are fantastic, you won't get tardive dyskinesia and shakes and everything with these drugs. Well, it turns out, and they knew this, of course, at the time, it turns out that some of these drugs um, give you diabetes. Uh, they, they create huge weight gain, um, and um, people are now acknowledging that these drugs actually shorten your life. Now that would be uh, that wouldn't that would that's bad enough. But um, often these drugs are used in compulsory treatment, um, and so that people um, are forced to go on these drugs um, uh, um, sometimes for a long, long time. Uh, there's always been compulsory treatment in, in mental health services as long as the asylums have been around. Uh, but since the asylums have been uh, very downsized, uh, uh, they've been very clever actually. Um, what they've done is they say, well, you can get out of the hospital, but uh, you, you, you have to have treatment and you, you know, we, we'll force you to have treatment uh, when you're living in the community. Um, now that's not for everyone, it's for a minority of people um, by the time you get to community treatment orders. Um, but um, there's, um, there's um, I think, particularly in Australia and New Zealand, there is an alarming um, lack of worry about the infringement of human rights that goes on, and the lack of legal protections, the farcical legal protections. Um, in Victoria and in New Zealand, uh, we have um, uh, mental health review tribunals for people who want to get off these community treatment orders. Um, in New Zealand, about 1 in 25 people who apply get off these orders. Um, and I think this, the figure's similar for Victoria. Um, so th that's an issue that is, is, is going on. That's one response we have from mental health services. Um, we still have, uh, and people with mental health problems say, often say, well, the worst discrimination we get is from inside mental health services. Um, and, uh, and what we have, as I demonstrated with my own story, and this still continues today, is very low expectations for our lives. So from the day I got a diagnosis, I was being groomed uh, to have a career as a chronic um, psychiatric patient. Um, I, uh, fortunately, I didn't, um, and I went on to have a more rewarding life, but I, um, I, I think it's a tragedy that um, so many people get stuck in mental health services. So, um, so really, um, as I said, you know, it's a very much a medical service, and we have very little access to talking therapies, 
peer support, um, support to regain the material and uh, social opportunities we've lost, like education, employment, uh, housing, um, and other kind of social inclusion stuff, and um, and very little genuine advocacy for people. So uh, why do we do this? Why, why do we respond to people in this way? Well, here's one answer. Um, it says tradition, just because you've, um, just, I can't quite what's on here, just because you've always done it that way doesn't mean it's not incredibly stupid. And uh, how many times, I'm sure, you know, people here are interested in social change and social justice. How many times have you thought that? about the way um, societies and governments and the state responds uh, to people who are uh, somewhat different. Well, um, as you can see from those history slides uh, at the beginning, um, you know, the mistreatment of people with mental health problems has been, um, has been endemic uh, forever. Um, now, at the beginning of the asylum era 200 years ago, when they started building those huge elaborate um, Victorian buildings, um, uh, they were full of good intention and hope. And, and in fact, they used to boast about the recovery rates of their, cli of their, um, of their uh, clients. Uh, but of course, the, um, the Victorian asylums filled up and, um, and of course, uh, uh, conditions deteriorated. Um, and uh, so, so, but for, for the whole time that uh, people have been um, confined, uh, there have been elements of protest. And I really, I'm talking to you today about the MAD movement, I'm getting on to it, but I wanted to describe to you the conditions that created this movement. Um, now, um, as I said, you know, people have been protesting. There are some very famous examples of people protesting uh, about going into, um, about being put into mental hospitals. It was very interesting. Um, there was a, uh, a woman who, uh, for instance, called Elizabeth Packard, an Illinois in the 19th century, who, who protested because um, her husband put her in there because he was sick of her. Uh, in Sydney in, t in 2010, I talked to two women in, the, in an acute ward there who were, who were saying the same thing, that they were really in there because of domestic abuse and their husbands didn't want them. So, um, so there's still plenty to protest about. One of my favourite quotes is from, a, um, a, I think he was a playwright called um, uh, Nathaniel Lee, and um, he lived in the 17th century and he said, they called me mad and I called them mad and damn them, they outvoted me. <laughs> oh, right, okay. So, um, the MAD movement, now, mo usually you won't have heard of the MAD movement because that's just my term for it. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I do this, I just make up my own terms for things because um, uh, I'm a free spirit. And, um, and, uh, but, but really, if you hear about the, the consumer movement, the, um, the uh, service user movement, or the survivor movement, um, we're talking about the same thing. It's the movement of people who've been through the mental health system. 
And, and it started really, um, although there'd been individual protest, it started as a liberation movement in the 1970s. And it really was riding on the same wave as feminism, the gay rights movement, um, and, and the civil rights movement. Um, and um, it was very much um, about, uh, you know, uh, liberation from oppression. And th this was the language that was used, um, and, and quite appropriately um, uh, too. Um, for the time, now, I, I'm, uh, it must take a while for this thing to go up there. Oh, look there. Now, there are two main activities that, that, that the, the MAD movement got into. I mean, the first one was peer support, and in the early days they used to talk about consciousness raising uh, in a similar way to the way feminists talked about consciousness raising. And so people were sharing the trauma, um, the, the feeling of oppression they had, from being, um, from being through the mental health system. And it was very much about empowering the self and empowering each other. Um, and that continues today in various forms. Um, I mean, the other arm of the, of the movement, of course, was political action. Um, it wasn't about changing ourselves and changing our own narratives. It's actually also about, um, about um, coming up with our own analysis of um, what had been going on. And in the very early days, there was, there was an enormous rejection of psychiatry. I mean, things of, like all movements, um, there are much more moderate uh, people around now who don't reject it. Uh, they reject parts of it, but they, they say they benefit from psychiatry too. And um, it was very much focused around um, campaigning against forced treatment. Now, um, just a little picture for you. Um, that's Van Gogh um, there. Uh, he, 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 um, he, he cut his ear off and posted it to his wife. He, he, had, um, he had some mental health problems. I, I'm not sure if he sniffed his paint or what happened, but, but they don't really know, understand what was going on with him. But he, he, did, some, he did some pretty drastic things. And he, he did the self-portrait of himself, um, looking pretty sad after he um, you know, cut his ear off and posted it to his wife. And I found this other portrait of him um, on, Go on Google, actually, and that's, um, that's, that's entitled uh, Van Gogh on Prozac. <laughs> now, um, the, the thing that really strikes me is, is he's got a beautiful set of dentures there, but, but his ear's actually grown back. Um, and I, I don't know whether this is the Prozac or what it is, but it's, it is quite magical. Um, now, of course, the MAD movement, I just want to go into a little more detail about the, um, about the, uh, about the thinking in the MAD movement. Um, um, of course, really, at the very core of discrimination against people with mental health problems um, is, the, is the view um, that um, madness is a, uh, it's a kind of, it's a forbidden experience. It's a it's an experience that's very low on the hierarchy of human experiences. Um, it's something that very people are very p fearful about. Um, and since uh, medicine got hold of it, it's been very it's it's been seen as a pathology and not a legitimate experience. Now, um, um, in order to uh, in order to reduce discrimination, it's my 
very firm belief that we have to um, we have to change that fundamental view we have about madness. And I'm going to talk a bit a bit more about that in a, in a while. But 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 really, um, the 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 MAD movement really rejected the medical and deficits-based perspectives. Now, it wasn't just what the doctors said. I mean, the psychotherapists were pretty awful about it too. Um, and, and um, you know, they were always looking for what your mother did when you were three and, you know, sort of rutting around looking for problems and tell us, thinking you were pretty inadequate and all that sort of thing. Well, that, we, we rejected that as well, um, that view. Um, and um, some of the views that we've that uh, people have come up with is that madness um, is a response to negative life experiences and there's a huge amount of evidence that people who have um, uh, major mental health problems, not just the minor ones, the so-called minor ones, um, uh, that, you know, uh, we're responding to uh, uh, trauma, um, uh, racism, uh, and an in income inequality, which I think this tomorrow morning speaker is going to talk a lot about. These are all um, there. There are very powerful social determinants. Not, uh, I mean, they used to say, "Oh, if you've got schizophrenia or bipolar, it's a biological condition." Um, and there's more and more evidence now that they actually know that the the social determinants of any kind of um, disturbance in your in your <coughs> in your mind um, um, is a, a, a pretty powerful. Um, I guess the way the closest approximation I would say to my own experience was that it was an existential crisis. And people often talk about this very powerful, profound, you know, disturbing, disruptive experience um, as a spiritual emergency. Um, um, and. Um, some people think of it as a protest against a so-called insane world, um, but but really um, we've been uh, we've tried to cast this experience as a legitimate human experience. It doesn't mean to say it's a it's a nice one, um, and um, I mean uh, most people don't enjoy it. Most people we certainly don't enjoy all of it. Um, so. But but it's an experience that value and meaning can be derived from. This um this is very slow. This very delayed response. Um, it's probably on antipsychotics. <laughs> um, I'll try again. On power. Okay. Now now this conference is about power, and um and as you could predict um. We had some. We've got some pretty strong feelings about power, um, and um, that that the mental health system and society has been pretty impressive and discriminatory, and that we must claim our own power, our own self determination. Um, we've got to claim our own expertise and and our our full citizenship. Now I think I might have another. Oh. Um, I think you, ne you need to get some speed, uh, you know, some amphetamines in, into the system here. <laughs> hey, do, do you think the, the control tower, the brain up there, do you think, oh, that's it, good, thanks. Maybe you could take over, I, I could just indicate to you because um, 
There seems to be a delayed response here. Now, um, Marinda Epstein, who is one of the workers at um, on the our consumer place at um, our community, um, has done this, that, and uh, she very kindly gave me the the original, and it's called targeted treatment. Um, and you can see these injections being chucked. I said to her, "Well, they never hit the bullseye, so I don't know why you, you know, I don't know why you put gave them the bullseye because." Um, uh, the, 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 it's really because the, the treatments are very imprecise um, and um, uh, they, don't, they don't really hit the problem at all, they hit the symptoms. But anyway, um, nice cartoon that one. So I just want to talk a little bit about the developments in the MAD movement um, since the 1970s because it really started out as a radical, unfunded protest movement, like, like most movements do. Out of this kind of grassroots kind of rage and enthusiasm and, uh, um, and a, a newfound belief in another way of looking at things, I think. Um, but in the 1980s, the mental health system started to think, oh, we want to start involving uh, people in, in, in our services and, you know, the, so that they can help us make decisions. Um, and so um, there, were, there was a much more moderate element that came into it who were much more prepared to work with the system. And of course, um, even those of us today who might have some um, old radical roots, uh, we, we tend to work with the system. Um, well, that's where the money is, I suppose. Um, I'm being cynical there. But, um, it currently, um, I don't know, there's been some people who said, well, do we have a movement? Um, and yes, we do. It's very diffuse, it's very fragmented, and it's poorly resourced. And I want to give you an indication of how poorly resourced and poorly documented it is. There's no um, university department in the world that um, has a department of uh, MAD studies. Um, there may be one soon. Um, um, so, so we don't have... Um, uh, we don't have that an intellectual infrastructure. Um, we, um, I mean, if, if you look at the women's movement, um, you know, the, there have been plenty of rich women around who could help to fund it. Um, and even the civil rights movement in the, U, in the US in the 60s was funded by some pretty wealthy churches. Um, and so, uh, we, uh, we're a very scattered um, and very poorly documented and, resor and, and resourced movement. Um, and this is something that continues to pain me, but I won't, I won't uh, bore you with that. But uh, I think it's an issue that, um, uh, that we, I would like to see more resolved. In the future, now, um, I've talked to young people, because uh, as you can tell, I'm sort of uh, middle-aged. Um, and uh, I've talked to young people about, well, where's this, where's this movement going to go to in the, in the future? Because, you know, let's face it, I mean, young people aren't staying in institutions for as long, but there's still a lot of young people, and middle-aged and old people, getting a terrible time inside uh, mental health services. Um, and, um, and they uh, need the same kinds of supports and opportunities to think differently um, and uh, empowerment and all those sorts of things that we had. Um, but uh, they don't seem to, they don't want to call, label themselves as um, 
part of the uh, consumer or survivor movement. And it's quite interesting, I think, that we uh, labelled ourselves so tightly. In fact, in the 80s, um, anyone who'd gone to the GP for a bit of Prozac who came along to one of our meetings, we were very suspicious of them because they weren't depressed enough or they hadn't been through the system enough. Um, and, and I think, um, uh, in fact, we labelled ourselves uh, very much in the way that we'd been labelled by the institution. Uh, and it was a very bounded uh, identity we had. And I think uh, there has been a little bit of progress in mental health uh, services and people aren't so locked, uh, locked in to the institution in the way that they were 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and I think um, the identity they have is uh, also less bounded than ours. Uh, but, but certainly the issues are remaining and uh, there are younger people uh, like um, Flick here, um, who's actually called Felicity, but she prefers to be called Flick. Um, and, and so it's great to see younger people coming up and, and, and doing this work. Now I just want to give you some examples of the kinds of uh, oh flick yeah the kinds of things we do and I, I hope you can see this but there's just a few sort of uh, labels I mean um, from the we do a bit of branding too actually um, that's interesting isn't it um, we probably do it mostly on our own the world network of users and survivors was done by me so um, I couldn't afford an, an agency to do that either um, so uh, what we have here are um, peer support methodologies and organisations, global advocacy networks. Uh, we've got um, the, the National Nutters Conference in New Zealand that we had a few years ago. That was the best conference I've ever been to, it was fantastic. Festivals, the Bonkers Fest, that happens in, um, um, in London. Um, and um, this Creative Roots, now I don't know if you can see that there, but you know, it's the evolutionary um, you know the evolutionary, the evolution of humankind, and starts off with a chimpanzee or something, and um, it ends up with a guy, um, with a, well, with a person, a, a nutcase. You know, it's got a peanut head, so um, that's pretty good. Mad Pride. I mean, there's been Mad Pride in Australia. They've tried to trademark it, but we're resisting that. Um, and um, there's been online groups, um, and down right at the bottom there, you can see the. Um, the ourconsumerplace.com.au if you want to visit it. Uh, that's the um, initiative within our community uh, that is by um, consumers for consumers. So a, a huge variety of activities. Now the changes since the 1970s, well they've been mixed and isn't this true of life? I mean we have this great notion when I was uh, started this 25 years ago, as a very young woman actually, um, I um, I, th I thought um, I, well I, we have this notion of progress, don't we? Um, and it's in all our narratives, you know, the politicians talk about we're going to crack this problem. It doesn't matter that's been going on for you know 30,000 years. We're going to crack it in the next term of government. Um, and um, and we, you know, there's this idea of progress and. Uh, Unfortunately, life doesn't work out that way. Some things get better and some things get worse, which is bloody annoying if you're an activist, but that's just the way things are. And so, um, so well, we've, we've had the downsizing or closing of old institutions. You haven't gone nearly far enough in Australia. You still love your hospitals too much, and look at the state of them. 
Um, uh, and of course, uh, there's been more community-based services, and there's more opportunities in community-based services. It doesn't mean to say they're any good, uh, but there is more um, scope uh, for delivering what we call a recovery-based uh, service. And um, and I'll just tell you a little bit about what recovery means in, in mental health. Um, um, it's a term I, I'm very ambivalent about, but basically it's a post-institutional philosophy. And um, the most paramount thing about recovery is hope. I mean, uh, you saw in those images um, the loss of hope. Um, you know, you can see in the statistics the, 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 the loss of hope. The, the experience of me as a young woman being told that, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be able to have a career and I should think twice about having children. Um, there's been a lot of pessimism um, in, in mental health. And so one of the great uh, things about recovery is hope. Um, of course, um, another, another sort of uh, foundation stone of recovery is self-determination for the person uh, who is labelled with mental illness. Um, a third one is having a broad range of services. And as I said, you know, we're, we're putting 80% of the funding into 20% of the problem. Um, and we've got to turn that around and actually put far more money, funding, get it away from those expensive hospital beds that cost um, as much as a five-star hotel per night um, into, um, into uh, resources and opportunities and services that assist people get their lives back. Um, and uh, also um, the idea that we're full citizens um, and the term that often is used by governments, the nice term is social inclusion. So that's really what the whole recovery approach is based upon. Um, um, and it's very diametrically opposed or different in a way to the traditional service delivery, which is based on pessimism, paternalism, um, you know, meds and beds, pills and pillows, and segregation from our communities. Um, and of course, um, there's been anti-discrimination campaigns in, in, in some countries, in some Western countries. I think probably the best one has been in New Zealand. Um, some anti-discrimination campaigns can actually have the opposite effect, and, uh, and if they're based on a medical understanding of, um, of mental health. Um, and the drug companies um, have had an enormous invisible influence on the way mental health services are delivered. Um, uh, but also, um, uh, you know, 30 years ago, things like depression and bipolar were relatively rare conditions. And now every third person you see meets on antidepressants. How many people here on antidepressants? <laughs> I'm just getting off mine, bloody hell. Um, I mean, but honestly, you know, half my family are on them. They're not even depressed. I don't know why they're on them. Um, so, and 80% uh, of it's a placebo effect, if you really want to... No, I mean, the placebo effects, of, you know, it's, it's an effect, but, um, um, you know, there might be other ways of dealing with these problems. So, um, anyway... Um, uh, and there's been an increase in people in New Zealand. There's actually, in the last, since the 70s, there's been an increase in pe of people under compulsory treatment. 
Um, and uh, this is really due to the introduction of compulsory treatment orders in 1992, and you have those two in Victoria. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's worrying. I mean, I thought we lived in an era where we were um, having increasing respect for people's human rights. Um, so people's life chances haven't improved much in the last 40 years. Uh, that's the summary version of what's happened. Um, there's been some good things happening, there's been some not so good things, but basically our life chances haven't improved that much. Um, so what do we need? But before we do that, well, here's another cartoon um, from um, uh, Marinda, and this is about changing the culture. And any of you who have been inside a, a mental hospital will know that nobody goes up to you and says, medication, madam. Uh, well, not, not unless they're being terribly sarcastic. So, um, so this is about uh, a cartoon about changing the culture. Now, um, so what needs to happen? Um, well, first of all, uh, we need changes to the service systems. And we're not just talking about mental health services. I mean, one of the unfortunate things is that um, everyone's got sort of dumped into, you know, people get dumped into mental health services uh, when in fact um, we need services from uh, multiple sectors and we're not getting a fair deal from these multiple sectors, I don't think. First of all, it's, it's moderated, it's... Um, okay, so first of all, um, the community and, well, well the, the, ser the services, um, they need to change. They need to see uh, madness as a legitimate human ex experience that meaning and value can be derived from. Um, in my own experience, this is a very powerful experience, um, and it, you can relate to having an existential crisis. Most of you are a spiritual crisis. These are very powerful experiences. I mean, if you're having huge sensory shifts and uh, cognitive shifts at the same time as you do when you're labelled psychotic. Um, uh, this is an even more overwhelming powerful experience and it deserves um, respect, it does have meaning and uh, value can be derived from it. So that's the first thing that really um, services have got to get away from this uh, pathology tragedy view and, and uh, give this experience some the respect it deserves. Well the responses, um, well we need to complete um, the process of deinstitutionalisation um, and of course there needs to be an expectation from services that people can recover and, and can return to um, full citizenship. Um, well, well, they actually not return. I mean, you're, you should be a full citizen while you're, um, while you're uh, a person using services. Um, a broad, um, as I've said, a broader range of holistic responses. Um, support to get back to get into employment, education, housing, I mean um, uh, relationships, I mean you know what you could run a dating service I mean you know I mean well you could fund people to I mean you know there's the old saying that uh, people have said I just want a job a house and a date on a Saturday night um, and, I, and I think uh, that's a that's a very powerful little statement but um, in fact, what we want is, um, is just what most other people want. Um, we need um, so a broader range of holistic responses, um, a diverse respect for workforce. We don't want just doctors and nurses. We want actually 
a lot of people working in the mental health system and in other kinds of social services who have lived experience of mental health problems. Um, service user leadership, now I'll explain a bit about this. Um, we need, um, if we're on a platform of self-determination as I talked about, well we need to uh, lead our own recoveries as individuals uh, and not sort of be under the thumb of the doctor or the nurse, uh, but but to uh, make our own decisions. Um, and um, uh, as a collective, we need to take up leadership roles. And I mean, I was a commissioner in, in, in the New Zealand Mental Health Commission, uh, and that was a leadership role, obviously. And um, and I was I was amazed um, at the at the power of position. Um, which is quite a quite ridiculous. Well, I mean, I'd been an advocate, and nobody took any notice of me. And as soon as I became a commissioner, everyone got offended with what I said. I was saying exactly the same thing. So, so this huge power, and um, the not just, I mean, there's all sorts of leadership, but position power. I think we need position power in the mental health system, and um, very few of us have it. Um, and of course, we need to reduce compulsory treatment. Nobody's talking about that, but. That's something that we need to do. There is a start happening in Australia and New Zealand, a very uh, lacklustre start in trying to reduce and eliminate seclusion or solitary confinement, uh, but we need to go further than that. Right, so um, the changes we need in society. Well, again, it's not just mental health professionals who need to reframe madness. It's the whole community. Um, and. Um, and we need to challenge community expectations of services uh, because what happened when the asylums took over 200 years ago was that communities abdicated responsibility uh, to, for uh, mad people uh, to experts and institutions. And of course this hasn't just happened in mental health. This is a well-known phenomenon. Um, and, um, and we're still doing it. And uh, it's very interesting. I find it fascinating that every time there's a so-called incident uh, that gets into the media, the services are fully to blame uh, for it happening. Now, um, there's very implicit discrimination in that because what, what the implicit discrimination is that the person who did the offence or the antisocial act or you know, decided to end their lives or whatever, had no responsibility at all because they're not capable of it. Um, and I think that we need a much more nuanced understanding of responsibility and shared responsibility for, um, for things that go wrong. Um, and, um, you know, for those of you who are familiar with mental health services, they're obsessed with risk. Have you, have you ever come across the... They're just totally obsessed with it. God, you know... I mean, we, we've never lived in a safer environment. Um, uh, you know, if you walk down the road in the Middle Ages, you like to, you know, you just get clobbered. But, um, but no, we, we're just obsessed with risk in our in our culture, which is really interesting because it's never been safer. Um, and of course, um, people with mental health problems um, are about as likely as an 18 to 25 year old male to do antisocial acts and uh, so on. But. Uh, and when, perhaps we should lock them all up. I don't know, um, but um, but really we've got to we've got to uh, get a much a much more sophisticated understanding of what risk is and and who's responsible when things go wrong. I mean it's just ridiculous to put it all on services. 
It's it's totally ridiculous, um, uh, and and um, and it's just not it's just not an accurate picture of the world. Um, of course, the best way to reduce discrimination is to um, have, be in contact with people who um, who, who have been labelled um, mad or whatever the discriminated against group is. So hopefully some of you will <laughs> go away today and think, oh, they're, they're, those mad people, they're, they're not that mad. Maybe, I don't know, you might, you might have uh, a different idea after seeing me up here talking. But but um, anyway, exposure to mad people is, um, to, to the discriminated against group is terribly, terribly important. And it's not just about people getting up at conferences and talking. It's about having neighbours. Um, it's about people being in the workplace uh, and not being segregated off in little ghettos, uh, whether they're ghettos in communities or in institutions. Um, Anti-discrimination campaigns, I think, are important. It'd be great if you had one in Australia, uh, but you've got to be careful about how you pitch those. And um, and another change is that um, you might you're probably aware, some of you, that there's been a huge resurgence in um, interest in well-being, um, and you know, in, 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 in Western democracies in the last 15 years, um, and uh, or happiness, or social capital, or positive psychology, or you know, all all that cluster of things is it is about how do we create a community or a society where we create the conditions where people can have optimal well-being? A very reasonable question, since. Um, we know that economic growth and um, uh, and affluence hasn't hasn't increased well-being, um, and um, I think that the whole recovery approach that I was talking about, with the platform of self-determination, social inclusion, a broad range of services, and what was the other one? And hope uh, fit very well being into the very very well into the whole um, population well-being agenda, and I don't think we should be left out of that. We're a group in the population who, whose well-being is most under threat, and we should be um, very much included in the population well-being agenda. Because traditionally, if you know anything about this, um, you see these charts that people write, these continuums, and they have me mentally ill people at one end and mentally healthy people at the other end. And the mentally ill people get treatments and services, and the mentally healthy people get you know, promotion and all those nice things. Um, and what we're saying is that actually we need promotion and actually recovery, the recovery approach is actually, in a way, it's mental health promotion for people who have um, mental health problems. So um, just before I end, um, I'm just going to... Uh, anyway, we need allies and we need you as our allies. And if you just please, if you take away one message, please, um, please take that message away. We hope you've enjoyed this highlight from the community's In Control Library. If you did, we'd love you to rate or review this podcast in the iTunes Store and for you to share it with your friends. For further information about Communities in Control, visit communitiesincontrol.com.au.